My title for us this morning is Basic Christianity, Repentance and Forgiveness. Basic Christianity, Repentance and Forgiveness. The last few weeks we have been interesting. We've had a few different events, so we've strayed a bit from our study in 1 John, but this morning we're back in it, so let me begin by reminding you of some of the things that we've covered already. Some points are going to come up here on the screen. John's first letter, or epistle as we sometimes refer to it, is packed full of doctrine and duties. Over the last couple of studies, for example, we've learned some of the following. Number one, that Jesus was here in the flesh. We talked about the incarnation. Number two, that the apostles testified to this through empirical evidence. We heard him, we saw him, we touched him. We knew Jesus was here really, not just imaginatively. Number three, that sound belief means we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. In other words, we cannot say that we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, but disbelieve what the Bible teaches. Our experience and our preference does not trump the authoritative teaching of God's Word. doesn't matter how you feel. doesn't matter what experience you've had. What matters is whether or not you will put your experience and feeling under the authority of the Word of God. Now this morning, we're continuing through the first chapter of 1 John, moving on from that first section to the second section, which is found in verses 5 through 10. Let me begin by saying this. From our perspective, Christianity is a faith that starts with an acknowledgement of need. Theologically speaking, we don't bring anything meritorious or praiseworthy to God. We can't earn a righteous declaration from God. We don't deserve a right standing with God. We are sinners in need of mercy and grace in order for our broken relationship with God, our Creator, to be restored. And that is precisely what we're going to learn about today. So our first point is this. Fellowship with God requires repentance. Fellowship with God requires repentance. This is found in verses 5 through 7. If you look back at your word as I read aloud, our first point, fellowship with God requires repentance, is found in verses 5, 6, and 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. Now, there's a couple of things that are worthy of note here under this point and in this section of Scripture. First, there is a mention of light. First of all, there is a mention of light. Throughout the Bible, and especially in the writings of John, we would say the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, there is a use of words like light and dark. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 5, 
It says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or in John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus says to Nicodemus, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So there is this use of words, light and dark, throughout the Bible, but in particular, it seems to be in John's writings. It's a beautiful verse, likening Jesus to light and saying that while he brought light into our darkness, he himself wasn't overcome by the darkness. And so here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we're reminded that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What could John mean by this? Quite simply, I think John is saying that everything that is good and meaningful and righteous is of God because God doesn't make mistakes. You see, darkness and light are not equals. The Eastern world and its philosophy and religion would like us to think that every yin has a yang. Am I right? But the truth of the matter is, is darkness is not something. Darkness, ontologically speaking, is the absence of something, namely light. So where there is God, there is no darkness. If we are in darkness, it is because we have a problem with fellowship. That's our second note that I want to make under this point. There is a mention of fellowship. First of all, there's a mention of light. God is light in him. There is no darkness of all, but, at all. But secondly, there's this mention of fellowship. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness. We lie. We do not practice the truth. I, I like that word, practice. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all Sin. Church, notice that if we're not in the light, it isn't because God has moved. God is always in the light because God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So if we find ourselves in the shadows, if we find ourselves in darkness, it's not because God has forsaken us. It's because we've walked outside the protection of his glory. Think about that for a minute. The reason these things are mentioned together is obvious. Since God is light, always doing what is righteous and praiseworthy, we can't claim to have fellowship with him if we're in darkness, practicing what dishonors him or doing those things which he forbids. You see, both the verbs to walk and to purify, when it says that the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, purifies us from all said. Both of those verbs are present tense verbs, which tells us something. John isn't saying that we won't ever sin. John is saying that our continuing fellowship with God is covered by the blood of Jesus, who forgives us and keeps us connected to him who is in the light. If walking in the light then means walking with God 
following his ways, obeying his commands, and being covered by the blood of his son, then it serves to acknowledge the opposite, which is this. To walk in darkness is the equivalent of walking or living in sin outside of the will of God and consequently without Jesus. Notice that John does not say, wherever you go, the blood of the Son of God will cover you from all sin. No, he says, those who have all their sins covered by the blood of God's Son are those who are in the what? In the light. Not that we're perfect. If we were, we would not need the blood of God's only Son to cover us. Amen? So so John is not saying, once you are in the light, you are perfect. He's saying that to be in the light is to be covered and to seek the face of the Lord and to obey, but not necessarily to be perfect. I like what he says back here. As I mentioned, he says this idea of practicing. We lie and do not practice the truth. Let me ask you a question, church. Say amen if you're listening. Are you making a practice of obeying God? Or do you show up to practice when you feel like it? It's a decision on a daily basis that must be made. God, today I will serve you and walk in the light. Or, God, I'm not talking to you today. I've decided to do this one on my own. In which case, we have some serious decision-making to take place. Am I thinking like that because I'm being a rebellious son? Or am I thinking like that because I'm not a son? Am I thinking like that because I've got a major breach in my relationship with my father? Or am I thinking like that because he's not my father? He's my creator who's ready to judge me. I bring that to your attention, church, because there's something that you and I need to grasp, and that is this. We might not be perfect, but we better practice. Too many of us excuse every dark, unmentionable sin in our own lives while we see clearly and beyond any shadow of doubt those sins in the lives of others. Our Lord Jesus said it this way, if you would remove the speck in your brother's eye, first get the plank out of your own. There is something here that we are not very good at. And I think that is why, aside from the fact that it is the God's honest truth, John puts it the way he does. There's no neutral ground here. There's no, if we would, since we're talking about light and dark, a gray area. Either you're in the light or you're in the darkness. But you're not jumping back and forth. If we're walking in the light, that means we're walking with God. And if we're walking in the darkness, then neither God or Jesus are in our life. What's the difference? Well, to a degree, church, the difference is repentance. The difference is repentance. 
fellowship requires repentance. Say this with me. Fellowship requires repentance. By definition, repentance means to change one's mind. It's the recognition of our sinfulness and God's holiness. That we're wrong and that God is right. And our attitudes and our actions change as a result of our change in thinking. You see? We don't back our way into this Christianity. We repent, and as an effect of our change in thinking, our attitude changes and our actions change. But we don't change our actions to change our attitude to get to some point of repentance the difference? That's religion. We don't do religion. We do Christianity, which is about a relationship. We repent, and that's when we say, God, I have come to a realization today that you are God and I am not. You are right and I am wrong. You are holy and I am common. That is repentance. Repentance is an integral part of Christianity. Yes, it begins our walk with Jesus, but hear me, church, it also has a continual aspect to it. In other words, once we repent and trust Jesus as our Savior, saying to God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior who is your Son, you are right, I am wrong, I accept this in your grace by faith, we need to stay there living our lives with an attitude of repentance and faith in Jesus. In other words, there should be no such thing as an arrogant Christian. Look what a good Christian I am. And look at what a bad Christian you are. Christians aren't supposed to dress like that. Christians aren't supposed to sing that song. Christians aren't supposed to sit on those chairs. Christians aren't supposed to go to churches like, you name it. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is someone who has repented at the foot of the cross for the salvation that is offered in Jesus alone and lives their life like they still believe it. Repentance isn't something that we simply do once and never do again. No, we're we're imperfect people in need of a Savior every single day. Today, I need Jesus. I need Jesus on my best day as much as I need Jesus on my worst day. Church, I need Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not once, but every single day. And therefore, our attitude must be one of repentance and humility at all times. I love what God says in Isaiah 44, 22. Isaiah 44, 22. He says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like the mist. Return to me because I've redeemed you. That phrase, return to me, is the phrase repentance. 
You see, we start going the wrong direction if we start to sin, if we start to live outside of the will of God, those who are redeemed get a word from the Lord, whether it's through his word in the Bible, the conviction of God the Holy Spirit, a word, as Alex said earlier, maybe in the fellowship of those who are in Christ alongside of you, to say what you're doing is wrong and you need to come back to the Lord. And then that's the Lord saying to us, return to me. In other words, repent. Repent. Fellowship requires repentance. Church, the gospel consists of more, but it certainly doesn't consist of less than this. You must repent and believe that Jesus is the Savior. This brings us to our second point, and that is this, in verses 8 through 10, repentance brings forgiveness. Repentance brings forgiveness. Let's look at the entire section again, if you would please read with your eyes as I read aloud verses 5 through 10. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that's you and me, church, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now get this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. Repentance brings forgiveness. Our second and last point of this section, 1 John chapter 5, verses 5 through 10, is this. Repentance brings forgiveness. Fellowship requires repentance, but repentance brings forgiveness. Church, this is not a theory. This is not a hypothesis. It isn't even a hope beyond hopes. Listen, it is a biblical truth revealed to us in God's word. If you repent, there is forgiveness for you. If you repent, there is forgiveness for you. Or maybe another way to say it is repentance is the road that leads to forgiveness, which is our ultimate destination. Or maybe another way still would be to say it like this, without repentance, there is no forgiveness. Or maybe another way still would be, God will forgive you if you repent and believe. I love how the apostle Peter preached his first public sermon ever after the ascension of our Lord Jesus, and everyone, it says, were convicted to the heart. The King James says it pricked them to the heart. What must we do, brothers, to be saved? And Peter says these words, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized. He doesn't say get baptized and then you'll be saved. He says repent, get baptized to show that you repented. The forgiveness will be there because repentance precedes forgiveness. This is one of the greatest misunderstandings in our religious world today. In fact, in some translations of the Roman Catholic Bible, which was based upon the Vulgate, which was Jerome's translation, 
the Latin translation, they don't translate the word metanoia in the Greek as repentance. They translate it as penance. Penance is not the same thing as repentance. Penance is you must do this and that and the other thing, and you will remove the weight of the sin that you have incurred after your baptism. Church, that's not what God's word is saying. Repentance is a change of heart and mind in view of the authoritative, inspired word of God. And as long as that mentality exists within you, you are in the light. And when you are in the light, the blood of God's Son cleanses you of all sin. Repentance cannot be misunderstood without grave consequences. We decide to order the words however we might decide. Whatever language we decide to dress up this biblical and theological truth with is kind of irrelevant. This much is clear. Forgiveness and repentance are always linked in the Christian gospel. So if you're walking around with arrogant indifference toward God's word and God's will, unrepentant, biblically speaking, then there's no reason to think for a second that you are a person who is forgiven. A couple of things to think about. You might want to write these down. First, repentance requires honesty. Repentance requires honesty. Look at the text again, if you would, please. It says, if we say we have no sin, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, John says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Liar! That's what John is saying. Liar! We must see ourselves in the light of God's truth. And God's truth tells us that humankind is sinful. Not only because humankind had a head, a representative in Adam who sinned and plunged all of humankind into sin as a result, but also because each and every one of us, say I, we sin every single day. Every day we sin, and we disobey God, our creator. A couple of verses to consider, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Surely there isn't a righteous man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Surely there isn't a righteous man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. This is probably a familiar one. None is righteous, no, not one. My grandfather recently passed away, as many of you know. And um, when he passed away, I inherited many of his books. And I had Bibles in there. And what was so amazing are all the notes in his Bibles and all the highlights and things like that. It's wonderful. The reason I share that with you is not only because it makes me proud 
as a grandson and as a pastor, but I share that by way of illustration to say this. My grandfather is in heaven today not because he was a good deacon. My grandfather is in heaven today because he trusted Jesus. He knew he was a sinner in need of a Savior like Jesus. There are none righteous, not even my grandfather. We've got to be honest if we would be forgiven. But second, repentance requires confession. First of all, it requires honesty. But second of all, it requires confession. Verse 9 continues. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. If we say we have no sin, then we lie, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, so first of all, we've got to be honest. But second of all, we've got to confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, etc. Church, please notice that confession follows an honest self-assessment. Confession follows an honest self-assessment. First, we're honest with ourselves about our own condition, and then we confess or acknowledge that condition to the Lord. It's difficult to confess something about yourself that you don't believe. If you don't think you're wrong, you're not going to apologize or repent. If you're married, you know how this goes. Right? But when it comes to us and our Father, the Creator, it's not about, well, you made me this way. It's not about any of that. It's about, God, I recognize my sin, and I'm confessing to you that I'm a sinner. Honesty leads to confession. If you are not a confessor, you are not honest. People who have grappled with their own sin honestly become confessors. Now, that doesn't mean you run up and down the street and you just bump into a stranger that you don't know and say, stand still for a second, I got to tell you my sin. Please don't do that. And if you do, don't tell them you go to church here. <laughs> we have to have some sort of decorum. But it does mean that brother to brother, it does mean that Christian to Christian, in appropriateness, we confess our sins. But more importantly, primarily, it means that we say to God, I am a sinner, God, and I'm confessing this to you. Namely, that you're the Savior and I'm the sinner who needs a Savior. It's important for us to remember. But thirdly and finally, repentance leads to sanctification. Repentance leads to sanctification. So, John tells us this, if we say we have no sin, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Here's the second part. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's sanctification. We go from not being saved to repenting and believing the gospel, which saves us 
and leads us to another part of our relationship with God, namely sanctification. Sanctification isn't a word that we commonly use. I don't know if you maybe as a parent discipline your child and you say, oh God, bring this progressive sanctification upon my rebellious teenager or whatever, I don't know. It's not a word we often use. But let me explain to you the word sanctification. It's a biblical word. It happens often. In fact, the word sanctification comes from the root word that means holy. You know what holy means. It means clean. It means set apart. It means different. So when the Bible talks about those who have trusted Jesus as Savior, repenting and believing the gospel, when the Bible speaks of those people, man, woman, or child, as being sanctified, it's talking about the fact that God has set them apart from the world and started to make them, what's the root word? Root, root word? Holy. I butchered that a little bit, I'm sorry. Sometimes we call this progressive sanctification. In other words, where I am today as a 44-year-old Christian is not where I was when I was a 20-year-old Christian. Come on. If you are where you were today, 20 years ago, your progressive sanctification has stalled. And you have some self-reflections to do. Lord, was I ever in your hand to begin with? Or did I just think I wasn't a sinner because I didn't rob banks? Progressive sanctification, church, means that once we are in Christ by repentance and faith, that God starts to make us more like his son each and every day. That the likeness of the image of Christ would be reflected in us. So it doesn't really matter what your condition is when you repent and believe the gospel. But know this, that won't stay your condition for very long. When we bring our luggage to the Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of God the Holy Spirit gets to work and he starts throwing out the unmentionables. He starts cleansing our closet, so to speak. He starts doing in us by way of miraculous transformation only what he, God the Holy Spirit, can do and what no rule, no regulation could ever perform from the outside in. The change of sanctification is from the inside out. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who has began a good work on you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, we cooperate with God in sanctification. Salvation is a work of the Lord, done, paid for in full by the Lord Jesus and applied by God the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to sanctification, God is calling us to cooperate with him. He works on us, he, he convicts us, he propels us toward his righteousness, but we must obey. We must be in alignment with him. So John says we must walk in the light because it is God who is working in us, but... All this while, we must not forget 
that the Father who has started a good work on us will complete it. Some of you are here today hearing this. Maybe you've been wobbly for a while. Maybe you've been disjointed as a Christian. Maybe your life isn't nearly on the trajectory that you thought it would be. You're 30, 40, 50 years old, still acting like a teenage Christian. Not mature, not knowledgeable, not committed to worship. Regardless of where you may find yourself today, hear this, church. What God starts, God finishes. And wherever you might be, this word today is for you. Hear me out. God is saying, work with me as I work on you. Obey me as I command you. Respond to me as I convict you. Be humble as I encourage you. God is calling us through 1 John chapter 1 not only to confess with honesty, but to realize that that honest confession leads to a life change, and we should believe it to be so. To close, church, how's your repentance? Are you walking in the light? Are you covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you repenting and confessing and living in accordance with his word? Are you looking at your life today and reflecting upon what your life was like 10 years ago and saying, praise God for his sanctification? 